0: Let's stand together and we're going to read a couple of verses and we're going to talk tonight about getting along in church. Now, I know church people never fight, uh, but I want you just to kind of take a theoretical message here tonight. Just It's sort of in case church people were to fight or get into disunity, which, like I said, never happens, right? Isn't that your experience? Church people don't fight. They always get along. There's always unity. There's always peace and harmony, Right. Well, we're going to see that that's not really true, and and Paul told us how to work this out. So let's go to it. Can we there, Marsha? Do I just go ahead? Do I go on? Jeff. Where is Jeff? There we go. Okay. It's all there. All right, let's read together now Philippians 4, 1 through 3. Notice who was having a conflict. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends. For you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. It's powerful. Now, I appeal to Euodia. Now, I spelled that out for you so you could. Can you imagine that being your name? Hey, you. I mean, you'd surely eventually shorten it to you. Euodia. Hey, you. But it's, hey, I appeal to Euodia. And here's another one Syntike sin how would you like your first the prefix of your name to be sin so we got you sin all right now he talks to these two women look what he says please because you belong to the lord settle your disagreement and i ask you my true partner another version says yoke fellow to help these two women For they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. These were sisters in Christ. These were ministers and they were in a fight. Now let's just pray and then we're going to look at the fight. Father, we just thank you for your blessing on the word tonight. Lord, we need unity in the house. We need to maintain the unity that is here. We need to walk in harmony of purpose and mind. Lord, help us to glean wisdom from this so that we do not uh, experience conflict that is not resolved, and so that we can glorify Jesus in the earth. We thank you for it. Now, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, I receive your word tonight. I want to walk in peace with my brothers and sisters. Lord, help us to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, get along. Be seated. God bless you. Well, uh, there's nothing new under the sun, as the Bible uh, says. And here you got two sisters in the Lord who are in a fight. The fight is serious enough that Paul put it in one of his letters. Now, we don't know all the circumstances, but trouble was afoot among some of those who were there in Philippi in the Philippian church. Two women were in conflict. They had worked side by side in the church. These were not uh, flaky people. These were not flaky women they were ministers. Look what it says about them. Um, Though they've been working side by side, something happened. And they fell into a trap, a disagreement arose between them. And this is the trap of offense. Now, I've been pastoring 25 years. I've seen the underbelly of the church, um, probably more than most. And I want to tell you that the number one tool of the devil against the church is the the tool of offenses we we get offended with one another jesus predicted that as his return drew near that offenses would even increase now the word offense comes from the greek word scandalon and we get uh, the word scandal from the greek word for offense scandal scandalon and so what i like to say is when you've been offended there's a scandal on You get scandalized. That means you trip. It means you stumble. It means your peace and your joy and your love in Christ are interrupted and hindered, pulled down and and affected. And we become offended with each other. We are a great big family in the church. And how many of you know that in your own home you've got to learn to handle offenses or you're dead, right? Right? In, your, in a marriage, you've got to handle offenses or it's over. You've got a cancer in your marriage if you don't handle offenses. And if you don't handle offenses in your home with your kids, with wh- whoever is under your roof, then you're in trouble. Well, all the church is, is a huge family. And there's going to be offenses because we're here. You know, the church would be a great place if it weren't for the people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we've got to learn to handle offenses. And so when you and I get offended with each other, it is a scandal. It scandalizes our faith. Somebody says something that hurts you. Somebody does something that that hurts you, that offends you, that, that, that hurts your feelings. And either it's resolved or there is something left there to fester. And all through the New Testament, we are encouraged, starting with Jesus Christ encouraging us, We are encouraged to handle offenses, to not give them much longer than a 24-hour shelf life. Offenses are living things. They, They live, they grow legs, they run. If you don't handle an offense, the offense will handle you. And so we've got to do it. If we want unity in the house, and I'm going to guarantee you, if there's not unity in the house, the church has lost its influence. So watch this now. They fell into a trap, the trap of a the fence. They, they weren't working it out. It got so bad that the word got to Paul, and it lasted long enough where he had time to write a letter about it. So who knows how it began, probably as a small argument. That's probably how it started. Most offenses do start small and they grow. The, the Song of Solomon talks about the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. But it mushroomed into a rift that not only affected them, but it began to hurt the entire congregation. And that's what an offense unhandled will do. If you don't handle it in your home, it'll affect the whole family. If you don't handle it in the church, it'll eventually poison the whole church. The Bible says, don't let a root of bitterness grow in your life, but lest it springs up and begins to defile many people. And that's what a root of bitterness will do, always, every time. It is never a solitary thing. It is a cancer that grows and begins to touch other people. Now, Paul doesn't give us much detail, but we get the picture if we read carefully what was going on here. He says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other. Now, here in the midst of his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul exhorts these two women to end their fight, end their disagreement. Sometimes, folks, if you can't end it for you, you need to end it for everybody else. Amen? Sometimes if you don't care enough about you, then end it for the people who are being affected by it. And that's what Paul is basically saying. Hey, get it together, man. You're hurting the unity of the whole church. If you can't do it for you, do it for everybody else. And that's maturity. Now his short exhortation packs a powerful lesson for us today. A lesson about addressing division and producing unity in the church. You know how a church is blessed? It's blessed with unity. When there's unity in the house, the spirit can flow. When there's not unity in the house, the spirit is grieved and the influence of that church is hindered. Now, I don't know about you, but I know the time is short and I don't want to be hindered. I want to do as much as we can to the glory of God. So if we're going to do that, we've got to learn to handle petty offenses. Amen? We've got to in the house of God. Got to. Can't nurse them. Can't rehearse them. Got to handle them. Got to have peace. Now the contention between these two women had concerned Paul enough that he put it in his letter. I would say, I don't want a fight of mine going in a letter that lasts 2,100 years <laughs> and is read by billions of people. I don't want my fight in that letter. But these two gals, they got their fight in this letter. All right. Every pastor, I tell, I promise you this, every pastor listening to me by radio, or if you're have pastor in this place tonight, you're a spiritual leader, you know exactly why Paul's concern was this deep. He knew that contention between members spreads. You know how it pr- spreads? You pick up the offense. Uh i did this once but i'll do it again because i thought it was pretty effective if i had a skunk right here holding a skunk and he had not been deperfumed, he was still potent and i said hey hey come here and you walked over and i said would you hold my skunk for me i i just can't carry him alone any longer now you would say hey no way that's your skunk i don't want to stink but guess what when you get offended If you don't handle it here's what you're always going to do promise guaranteed this is what you're going to do you're eventually going to call somebody over to you and you're going to say would you help me carry this skunk you know what somebody did to me do you know what so-and-so did you think they're all spiritual but i guarantee you they're a hypocrite with a capital h They did this to me. They did that to me. They wronged me with this. They wronged me. And before you know it, you, the listener, say, I sure will. I'll help you carry that skunk. And you pick up the offense. And you can become as offended as the original offendee. Matter of fact, once you pick up that skunk, It's going to finally bug you so much, you're going to ask somebody else to carry the skunk. And before you know it, half the congregation is skunked. And we wonder why we're not seeing God move. We wonder why there's no joy in the house. We wonder what is wrong in the services. We wonder why there's no no moving of the Spirit. Well, because half the church is skunked. And when someone walks in, it stinketh. I say i don't know what i felt in there but i know something was wrong you ever walked into a place like that see there is danger in picking up somebody else's offense it's a danger because you're going to see now the person who did the offending you you've got on the offendee's glasses now and you're seeing the offender through their eyes you've picked up the offense you're carrying the skunk you're spreading the skunk and now all these people are stinking with an offense this is why paul was concerned he said girls get it together because if you don't get it together the whole body is going to be affected and skunked now i want to promise you something the devil is always out to skunk a congregation with offenses when he sees a church that is moving in the power of god and in the blessing of god his number one tactic is get somebody offended get somebody offended and let them share that offense and spread the skunk around. You got all kinds of people walking around carrying this skunk of offense. And the effectiveness of that church is negated, nullified, ruined. So Paul says, we can't have this. We got to have unity. You've got to get to the place where if you can't do it for you, you will do it for the body. If unchecked, it's going to lead to lack of unity in the whole congregation. He wrote the book of Philippians, The Letter of Joy, in part to address the subject of church unity. Now let's look at these two women's resume for a minute. What do we know about these two women? Well, Paul describes Euodia and Syntyche as women who contended at my side in the cause of the gospel. Now I promise you, if you followed Paul around, it was scary. Everywhere he went, he got in trouble. Whipped, thrown in jail, persecuted, mocked, ridiculed. He was danger. And yet these two women were sold out enough to Jesus that they followed Paul around and aided him in the ministry. So these these were not lightweights. These women loved the Lord, but they got into a fight. Now, from this, we can infer they were leading members. They might have been deaconesses. They might have been deaconesses. They were women of note in the congregation. Making the contention between them all the more harmful because they were leaders. They were not just pew warmers. They were leaders, these two women. Now notice also that Paul addresses both women. He doesn't just talk to one of them. He talks to both of them. And this shows that both needed to change, as is the case in most disagreements. If you're having trouble in your marriage, it may be 80, 20, or 70, 30 but I guarantee you both are involved somewhere. Paul tells them that the solution to the problem is to agree with each other, agree with each other. But not just any kind of agreement, but agreement in the Lord. Because you know what? You may not be able to fully agree logically, intellectually with every single thing another person holds that you're having a disagreement with but you can agree to disagree and come into the unity of the Spirit. Kathy and I don't agree on everything. We just don't. And we've learned to humor each other. We've learned to joke if things get too serious. We collect jokes, put them on the refrigerator. We, we, try, we develop a sense of humor in the home. If you don't laugh, what are you going to do? You've got to laugh. Our culture is so crazy today, you've got to laugh. Amen. Uh, we agree to disagree and when we disagree i say you know i don't care you know you can think that i'm going to think what i want you think what you want but we're still in agreement you can't let the unity be interrupted or you've opened the door to the devil and paul said we're not ignorant of his devices when he destroys unity he he conquers by dividing So you don't want to let him into your marriage and you don't want to let him into your home and you don't want to let him into your church. So they are to solve their disagreement, not their own way, but in and through Jesus was the answer. Jesus was the answer to settling the disagreement. Jesus was the answer. Paul not only urges these women to seek reconciliation between themselves, but he enlists the help of other people Look what he says, I ask you, loyal partner or yoke fellow, help these women get involved in their stuff, sit down with them and mediate and help them to work it out before the unity is broken. Now, that's another teaching, because not everybody is able to step into a situation that is contentious and be a help. Sometimes they end up in the fight with them, and I've been there, I've seen that. Uh, yeah thanks a lot for all your help because now you're screaming with us you got to be mature the bible says let those who are spiritual restore such a one in the spirit of meekness that's another message now we don't know who the loyal partner was or the yoke fellow it may have been luke it may have been epaphroditus but in any case paul calls on others to reach out to Euodia and Syntyche, and help them reconcile. Now here's why it should matter to you if you know people who are in disagreement and can't seem to work it out. Here's why it matters to you. Because guess what? If you in the body of Christ fail, I fail. If I fail, you fail. We're in this together. The Bible says we're all members of the body. I played racquetball last week got whipped i've I've seen that hey the guys that i play from this church don't care who i am on that court i mean it all goes out the door they'll hit me with the ball they'll hey they'll beat me into the ground and then afterwards they praise the lord pastor that was had a really good time don't give me that praise the lord stuff you tried to kill me in there but i noticed that the next day my foot hurt just for a little while just but it hurt and, you know, I could not ignore it. It affected my whole body. It affected everything because my foot was hurting. Your little toe can hurt, and it affects the whole body because we are interconnected. And so if if you're out there as a member of this church and, and you're in disagreement and dis, disunity and there's trouble with you, we're all going to hurt. If one weeps, we all weep. If one rejoices, we all rejoice, Paul said. So if you're in disagreement, and I know it and you can receive me it matters to me that you let me step in and try to help you through this because we've got to get healed up and not be in disunity Paul calls on others to reach out to them and help them to reconcile ladies you're mature you've been ministering but you can't you're you're obviously not going to do this without some help so I'm going to help you now if you had the opportunity to help two believers settle a dispute how would you go about uh, doing that how would you do it well paul gives us uh, some advice and i'm going to go through these real quickly this is really good advice to how to bring unity to a disunified situation all right he says if you have any encouragement from being united with christ if any comfort from his love if any fellowship with the spirit if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being what everyone like-minded he said man my joy is not even complete if you're in disagreement he says having the same love being one in spirit and purpose now you can disagree and still be one in spirit and one in purpose all right he said that's what i want when you're one in spirit and one in your purpose together then my joy is complete all right now in the passage i just read paul shows the way to build unity in the body of christ let's look at it um he begins with a statement that is really a question if you have any encouragement now let me ask you here tonight and listening by radio do you have any encouragement in god has god encouraged you let me show me your hands if you have encouragement in the lord all right then you're a candidate for this verse He said, if you have any encouragement, to which he answers that encouragement toward unity is available in four ways. There's four tools for building unity, four tools where you can step into a a, a situation where there's disagreement and disharmony and struggle, and you can help fix it. And here's how you do it. The first one is the encouragement of Jesus' example now i don't know about you but when i got saved it meant this i'm going to heaven but it also means as long as i'm on earth i follow jesus as long as i'm here i'm following jesus he's my leader he's my guide he's my teacher he's my counselor he's he he's my number one passion he's my number one pursuit all right now if i'm following jesus then i'm following his example and what was his example Paul said if there's any encouragement in the example of Jesus that ought to play a factor in you bringing harmony and unity into situations that are uh, not like that. He's focusing on the example of Jesus himself. Now what did Jesus model? What did he model for us? He modeled reconciliation. He taught us to practice industrial strength forgiveness didn't he? Industrial strength forgiveness is when you forgive 490 times in one day. Seven times, 70 times. Industrial strength. He taught us to forgive or we wouldn't be forgiven. That's industrial strength commands. He forgave his betrayer, Judas, on the spot. He prayed for those who crucified him from the cross. That's the model he left. So, if you have any encouragement in the model or in the example of Jesus, there you go. That ought to be your number one incentive. Now the second one is the incentive of God's love. Paul describes the second tool as any comfort from His love. How many of you can say, not only has He encouraged me, but He's, he's comforted me with His love? How about today? Did He do it today? Yeah. I mean, how many times a day do you need the Lord to encourage you and comfort you? Thank God He gave us the comforter, and He comforts all the time. And I'm so glad to get that comfort. You don't have to smoke it, chew it, drink it, snort it, or shoot it. It comes straight from heaven, and it's free. Amen? Now, comfort here, if you have any comfort from His love, can be translated incentive. Incentive with the added element of tenderness. So God tenderly gives us the incentive to display the love he showers on us. The Bible says, if he forgives you, you ought to forgive others with the same forgiveness he has forgiven you. If he comforts you, comfort others. If he encourages you, you encourage others. Whatever God does for you should never stay with you. It ought to be given away. So if he's had a lot of mercy on you, How can you possibly be a Pharisee and be mean to people? How many of you have had some mercy today? How many of you had to repent of something today? I wish you could see what I just saw. Uh, Oh, uh, (laughs) repent. He said repent, didn't he? (laughs) I got some half mass there. uh. Now watch this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that whatever he's done for you, it ought to flow out to others now if you're like me and like most people i know we've experienced the mercy and the grace of god uh, where we would have been dead meat if it hadn't been for the grace of god if you can say that he's saying that ought to be incentive for you to be a peacemaker as believers love each other with the love of god divisions begin to cease and unity unfolds. You got to love with the love wherewith he has loved you. Now Paul echoes the same thought in Colossians 3:14. He says above all, clothe yourselves with love. Can you say that with me? Clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love is the glue that binds us together. If you don't have love, it's a wash. It's over. You don't have a church body. All right? Now we clothe ourselves with love the same way we clothe ourselves every morning. Did you know that? It's a choice. That's what the word clothe. From the Greek language that's what it means. You just put it on. He says put on Christ. Put on love. Put on patience. You make a decision that you're going to put on love. And you can put on anything you want to. You can walk out in the morning in a harsh negative attitude and don't say the devil did it to you if you walk out and you've got that harsh negative attitude all day long you allowed it you put it on i know some people they just choose to be ornery some days why are you being so ornery because i want to don't say the devil made me do it the devil doesn't make you do anything child of god it's your choice what you're going to put on every day you're dressed tonight in what you decided to put on but not just externally internally as well why are you being so mean because i want to why are you being so impatient because i want to a child of god can stop at any given point point say i put on jesus i I, you know, I know what some of you are thinking well i'll act like jesus when he puts me in a headlock and makes me be like him Or someday down the road, I'll be more like Jesus. No, listen, you've got to cooperate with the grace of God being extended to you. And you cooperate with the grace of God by choosing, by faith, to put on Jesus, love, patience, the fruit of the Spirit. You put it on. That's exactly what he says here. And you put on love. If you're not being loving, you chose to not be loving. have to edit out all these amens and all this shouting and screaming all right I, I, I mean this is just the fact you know y'all this is just the fact there's nothing magic about it you just put on love by faith and because the spirit of god is in you you have the power to do that okay you put on love as the garment christ gives his children you put it on now here's the third thing the third uh tool towards unity is the unifying indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I love the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how people make it today without the presence and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how you do it. I don't know how anybody would do it. I I sometimes try to imagine if I were in this world lost without God and without the fellowship of the Spirit, how would I even be coping? I'm just so used to fellowshipping with the Spirit within me i'm just used to it i've been doing it you know 37 years he mentions fellowship with the spirit I, i love one place he says the fellowship of the spirit be with you that means you can talk to the holy spirit can i tell you that tonight you can talk to the holy spirit you can listen to the holy spirit we'll be talking about that this sunday How many of you can say, this week, I really feel like the Holy Spirit nudged me about something, communicated with me. He communicated with me. That's right. That's what he's there for. You know, one of the titles of Jesus is counselor. I've never known a counselor that didn't talk. A counselor counsels. All right, this refers to the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. God dwelling in us through the Holy Spirit enables us to live in unity with each other. He does. If you'll listen to the Spirit, you'll quit your meanness. Paul exhorted the Ephesians to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, God's people are a diverse group. Has that ever really occurred to you? We come from varied backgrounds, races, and economic and educational levels. We've got different tastes, preferences, and needs. I know some of you walk out of here, and I know you listen to rap music. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you want to put me in a torture chamber, put me anywhere where there's rap music. But but I can love you, and I can have a common ground with you, even though you go out there and you listen to that stuff that really is full of devils and you need to be delivered of but I can love you anyway. (laughs) See, I know that some of you do, because as soon as I said it, I heard an amen from over here. Somebody's got some rap. Oh, it's Christian rap, but you can't understand it. But anyway, we'll move on because I'm not going to get on the rap stuff. Now, I read recently, this really blessed me. I read recently that David Wilkerson's Times Square Church in New York City enjoys a membership of over, of over 100 nationalities. Think about that. It's a church of 8,000 people. 100 nationalities of nearly every race, culture, and age group and socioeconomic background gathering to worship every week. Well now you think they get along or agree with everything? There's no way. There's no way they agree with everything. But You don't have to intellectually agree as long as you can minister to each other and receive each other through the lens of the blood. You don't agree with me on everything and I don't agree with you on everything, okay? Think about that, a hundred nationalities. Visitors that go there are often led to exclaim, this is what heaven will be like. You know, some of you, you're not going to like heaven because everybody's going to be up there and there's going to be some people that you didn't think were going to make it (laughs) there's going to be some people you're going to go oh wow god really is good all the time (laughs) how'd you get here you know what they're going to say well how did you get here god really is good all the time and i I know that's going to be true and a lot of people you think aren't going are going and a lot of people you would swear are going aren't you only find out on the other side now how can such a diverse group as what wilkerson has there at times square how can they be in unity paul says by god's spirit that binds us together I can worship with anybody who can worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter to me. Amen? We may have diametrically opposed backgrounds, skin colors, educations, likes and dislikes, but we have one great thing in common. Read it with me. Our love for Jesus and our fellowship with the same indwelling spirit. Give the Lord a hand of praise. It's really true. And here's the fourth tool for building unity, and we're almost done. The unifying qualities of tenderness and compassion. He says, if you have any tenderness and compassion. Now, the opposite of tenderness and compassion are harshness and hard-heartedness. You know, to me, a, a hard-hearted, harsh person is very sad. When I see a hard-hearted, harsh person, A, they're never happy. Never. Never. And B, they usually don't have very many friends. Nobody wants to be around them. They're too harsh, too hard-hearted. People are not drawn to harsh, and they're not drawn to hard-hearted. People are drawn to tenderness and drawn to compassion. And if you've ever been dealt with in the body of Christ by harsh, hard-hearted Pharisee types, you know there's no worse experience. It's horrible. Because it's a double-edged sword. Not only are they dealing with you harsh and hard-heartedly, but they're doing it in the name of God. And if you're young, and you don't know the word well, and you're dealt with this way, you think it is God. And millions of people across America this Sunday won't be in church because they were dealt with harshly, hard-heartedly by judgmental Pharisees and not people who reflected Jesus. I've said it, before I'll say it again, I'd rather I'd rather preach to a group of hell's angels than religious, hard-hearted, harsh people. And anybody rougher, because they do it in the name of God. They'll kill you in the name of God. They killed Jesus in the name of God. No, Jesus was tender-hearted, and compassionate tenderness and compassion are the opposites and they are the fruits of the spirit they are reflections of the Jesus we worship I don't know about you but that's the Jesus I worship if not for his tenderness and compassion I wouldn't be here what about you I wouldn't be here would you no all right when brethren are tenderhearted with each other progress can often be made towards unity Paul says earlier in Philippians and we'll close with this let's stand up together can we He says earlier in Philippians, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of other people. Now next time, not next Wednesday, but Wednesday after, I want to, huh? Stop it, Kathy, Don't talk about it. See, you don't do that. She she thought I was saying next Wednesday. No, um, Wednesday after next. I want to deal with um, a little bit more on this thing of selfish ambition, because selfish ambition is a poison in the church, and uh, it brings disunity and it brings divisions and it brings splits. And I'm going to talk about it next time, Wednesday after next. So let's pray together. If you know somebody who needs to be healed, let's pray for them right now. Who needs to be brought into unity, let's pray for them right now. Father, help us to be healers, restorers. Help us, Lord, to be tender and compassionate. Help us, Lord, to walk these four tools out in situations that need your touch. And we thank you, Lord, for the character of Christ manifested in this house now i want you to say with me tonight church i won't get skunked by picking up somebody's offense i'll be a restorer in jesus name amen give me my hand one more time and you're dismissed